All right, well, we're heading into Romans, and we have some time, so I don't have to, I don't have to rush. I can kind of do the several weeks of introduction, which I think is what I'm going to do. But tonight I wanted to introduce Romans, um, but I think what it's going to be instead of an introduction to Romans is a preface to Romans. If you've read books, you know that there's usually an introduction that's a little longer and substantial, but I, I end up liking sometimes the preface to books. There's a, sometimes a lot of inf- interesting information that's not directly uh, related to the content of the book. So this is going to be a preface to Romans. And, you know, perhaps there won't be so much of a dramatic altar call moment uh, at the end of this teaching or a challenging exhortation. Although, um, Dad reminded me this morning, my dad reminded me that um, John Wesley had his heart, he, he experienced a filling of the Holy Spirit when he kind of true, experiences true conversion um, to the faith while reading Luther's preface to commentary on Romans. He, was, he went to a, a, a kind of a home group meeting and someone was going through the, Luther's preface to Romans and he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Uh, so maybe, maybe some of you during this preface to Romans will feel your heart strangely warmed. I don't want to shut the door uh, to that potentially happening tonight. But um, I'll say a few things about Romans, and I, I think I'll probably read a few of the, the opening verses. Uh, first of all, there was... You know, Paul wrote this to the Romans. It wasn't the first letter he wrote. It wasn't the last letter he wrote. He wrote it during sort of some downtime um, as he was heading uh, back to Jerusalem. Uh, he mentions this in the book of Acts, or Luke mentions it in the books of Acts. Paul had his heart, remember when he was departing, it's in like 18, 19, and 20, he was departing Ephesus. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem. He had a collection for the saints that he was going to deliver there. And he wanted to get back to Jerusalem and then go on to Rome. And he mentions this as part of his travel plans a couple times in the actual book of Romans. Um, there was a substantial Jewish community in Rome going back a century or so, uh, maybe even a couple centuries. Um, so there were, there were certainly uh, Jews in Rome. The first, Christian, the first Christians in Rome, the first church in Rome, was likely the result of um, the visitors from Rome that are mentioned in Acts 2 uh, at the day of Pentecost. Remember, everybody was there from all over the place uh, to visit Jerusalem for the, for the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, it also says that you know, there were Parthians, Medes, Persians, and, and then it also says, and some visitors from Rome. So they were there. They heard the gospel proclaimed to them. They received the Holy Spirit, just like that whole community, and obviously they went back to Rome. If you fast forward probably um, 15 or so years from that, from those, when those visitors went back to Rome filled with the Holy Spirit, in Acts 18.2, I want to read this because this also comes up in the book of Romans towards the end. Uh, Acts 18.2, uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. 
Okay, so sometime between when the visitors from Rome took the gospel back to Rome uh, to this point when Paul runs into Priscilla and Aquila, who were Christians, converts from Rome, forced to leave Rome at the, at the edict of, of Claudius, Emperor Claudius. He said, get out of, you know, all the Jews need to leave Rome. Um, so there were some, there were some uh, Christian activity. There were, there were house churches. There was um, small communities of believers in Rome. And this is really interesting. Uh, it's, it's highly likely that one, that the main reason that the Jews, that Claudius sent the Jews out of Rome were because of disagreements about Jesus as the Messiah among the Jews. All right. Um, this fits very well with other accounts in Acts where the gospel would come and then Jews would get really upset, you know, and there were lots of just um, disturbances, like big disturbances, city, city-wide disturbances popping up because the Jews were angry at the gospel being preached. As, as you know, Paul would go to the synagogue and then they would come out ready to kill. Right? We read about this all in Acts. So there were major, there would always, there would always be these major disturbances popping up whenever the gospel would come to a Jewish community uh, and Jesus was being uh, proclaimed as the Messiah. So there's this Roman historian uh, named Suetonius, and he wrote a life of Claudius. And he says that Claudius, and it's just this little kind of half of a sentence, but it's hilarious. You know, this is a totally pagan historian. He, he doesn't really have um, the concerns of the story of Christianity. He, he's just telling the rule of Claudius. Here are the things that he did. It says, He expelled the Jews from Rome because they were constantly rioting <laughs> at the instigation of Crestus. <laughs> it's this misspelling. He doesn't even really know, and that would be the Latin Christos. They're, they're arguing about something called Christus. <laughs> That's what the historian says. They're constantly rioting at the instigation of Christus. Uh, and he spelled it uh, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. And it's kind of a corrupt spelling of, of Christos. So there's this Roman historian saying, yeah, Claudius, he just got fed up with all these, Romes, all these uh, Roman Jews arguing amongst themselves and causing all these disturbances, you know, uh, taxing the police force and, you know, constantly having to send out the riot police to calm these in because of this Crestus thing. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Jesus the Messiah, and we, I hope you know that Christos is just the Greek uh, form of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is Christ, or it literally means anointed one. Right? Christos means Anointed. A chrism is, a, is an, anoint, an anointing. Jesus was being proclaimed as the Christ in Rome amongst the Jews, and it was causing insurrections. So uh, Claudius says, you all need to get out. By Romans 16, the end of the book of Romans, Paul is writing the letter to the Romans, and he's greeting a bunch of people. If you read the book this week, you read that closing, all the shout-outs. I love, always love Paul's Shout outs. You know, he was a well-connected guy uh, in a time before email and, and social media. But he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. So they're back in Rome. All right. 
They were converted in Rome. They were expelled from Rome. And now they're back in Rome. If you want to go to Romans 16, verse 3. Greet Prisca. That's, that's just a diminutive of, of Priscilla. And Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So they have a a church in their house. They're back in Rome and they're leading a church uh, within their house. And this, so this, I really like starting here. Starting with Priscilla and Aquila. Because you think of the book of Romans. And you think, I mean, it's, first of all, it's the biggest of Paul's letters. It's probably the most well-known of Paul's letters. You think of Rome as like all big, major world power. And it just seems big, 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 big. But actually, the people that Paul's writing to are a fairly small group of people. And we don't know exactly the size. But regardless of the size, they were definitely a marginalized people. They were in the corners. They were in their homes. They, weren't, they didn't have public clout. All right. This was just a, a small little ragtag group of people that, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, some people were, were set on fire almost literally by the Holy Spirit and went back and started proclaiming these things. And communities began to grow. Jewish communities who, who found in Jesus the one that the scriptures pointed to and began to uh, bow their knee to him and live in submission to him. And this community of people grew and then it was Jews and Gentiles, but then all the Jews got expelled. So then the Gentiles had to kind of limp along until the, the Jews were allowed to come back in. And now here we are, and this is the group of people that Paul's writing to. It's a group of Roman Christians who started small, kind of grew, then lost a big portion of their membership because all the Jews were expelled. And the Gentiles kind of had to continue without the Jews. Now the Jews have come back. Now you can see. Well, that's a good thing, right? We have our brothers and sisters back. Priscilla and Aquila are back. Welcome back, y'all. But, you know, we're kind of doing some things a little different now. We've gotten a little bit away from the kind of all this Jewish stuff, right? Now here we are in this community. How do we live life together? How do we follow Jesus, the Messiah, together, Jews and Gentiles? So you can see just in that setting, in the background of the book, some of the themes, the reason for some of the themes that Paul spends quite a bit of time on. Right? Why does he spend so much time on Jews and Gentiles? Because that's the community that he's addressing. So that's... That's the background to the letter of Romans. What's the main message? The main message is right here in the beginning. What does Paul want to tell them about? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And that would be, <laughs> that would be Crestus. That, that's, the, that's the one that caused all the riots, right? A servant of Christ Jesus. Called to be an apostle. Set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God. That's what Romans is about. The gospel of God. The the good news. The proclamation. The good proclamation of God. 
And it's, it's in verse 2. It only takes him one verse to say, and this is a story that started a long time ago. And it's a story that is told through the Jewish scriptures. And it's a story that the Jews among you have grown up with, have lived with for generations and generations and generations. It's what you've been longing for all this time. The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Okay? One thing with Paul is he's incredibly dense. And this introduction is some of the densest of all of Paul's writing. So you have to take it slow. But this is the message. Paul, I'm bringing, I want to tell you about the gospel of Christ Jesus. I want to give you, he says, he says, I want to come, and I'm going to come. But listen, guys, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's been several things between me and that. I mean, that's on my, that's on my radar. It's on my to-do list. I'm, I'm trying to get out to you. He says, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you. I carry you in my heart. And I'm praying that now, at last, I might succeed in coming to you. I want to bring this gospel of God. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That's what it's about. This letter is from Paul to the Roman Christian community, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles, in order to, until he got there, kind of impart to them something to strengthen, to establish their community in that city. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He saw uniquely his calling, and it wasn't against the Jews. He was saying, listen, I've been told, and this is really the, the whole message, just I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but... I am a Jew, and I have finally understood the real way to be a Jew. Because I've seen it in Jesus. And I now need to bring this message to you. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles because I have now seen that because of what Jesus has revealed about God, I've now finally understood that all along this has been so that the Gentiles, that the whole earth would come back into relationship with God. That's why he chose a people. That's why he has Israel. For the sake of the nations. That's why I read Psalm 2 at the beginning. This was, this was all the way back in the Holy Scriptures. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. You are my son. So he says, back to the beginning. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Concerning his son. The son of God. This is another loaded term, Right? The prophets declared it, the Holy Scriptures. And it's about his son descended from David. Who is this? This is the Messiah. This is the king. Right? We walked through all that story with the kings and the prophets. This is the one. This is the king who is finally coming to do what Isaiah was talking about. To do what David in the Psalms was talking about. To do what Samuel prophesied about. To do what all of those kings failed to do. 
the Son of God who was descended from David. This is the Davidic covenant. One of your offspring will sit on the throne and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. I'm going to do it. He was descended from David according to the flesh. All right, and here Paul, you know, in uh, all through the book, he talks about the flesh and the spirit. According to the flesh, he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, his name among all the nations, including, and this is, this is why he's writing, because you guys are included in that. You all are included in this thing that God has revealed in Jesus to all those in Rome. So the main message is right here. It's the good news. I want to, I want to declare the good news about Jesus. Basically, what Paul says is that Jesus is what the, the, the gospel of this good news about Jesus. This is what God has been up to the whole time. From the moment humans chose to do things their own way and actually really before that, God prepared that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But from the moment that humans found themselves in need of redemption, this is what God has been up to. Jesus has fulfilled it. And so, to preface the book, we really need to rehearse in our minds, and we need to continually rehearse it as we, as we work our way through the book, what God has been up to. What he's been up to. All through the book, you see, I mean, he talks about the creation of the world. Right here in chapter 1. Since the creation of the world... Here's how it's gone. He talks about Adam a lot in, in chapter 5. All right, so we have the background of Adam, of mankind, Genesis 1 through 3. We have the background of Abraham. He tells the story about Abraham and saying, Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Obviously, the background of, of, I mean, he calls him the Messiah, which means that he's the fulfillment of God's promises to David. And really, God's promises to David were one step in the fulfillment to God's promise to Abraham. <laughs> he talks about the law. The law was given through Moses. All right? So we have that whole chapter of the story, and we need to have it in our background, particularly the Exodus. When we get to chapter 6, 7, and 8, there's a lot of talk about deliverance from bondage, right? When Paul talks about deliverance from bondage, he doesn't talk about that in a vacuum, right? That's the Exodus. That's the story. That's Jesus delivering his people from captivity, right? And then he talks about, he talks about Pharaoh a lot in, in chapter 9 as an example. He talks about Jacob and Esau, right? This is a book that is really a commentary on the Old Testament, it's a Jesus-centered commentary of the Old Testament. The whole story. Tons of psalms dumped in here. So there's, there's a lot of quoted material. But then we need, to, we need to learn how to read even beyond that into, these, into the background. So there's these groups of words like promise. Um, that's, 
That's Abraham, right? Whenever you see him talking about the promise, he's talking about Abraham. God promised Abraham something, and he was faithful to that promise the whole time, and Jesus is proof of that. And then obviously Isaiah. He, he talks about Isaiah a lot, and, and a lot of the things that we talked about in Isaiah, what Isaiah was pointing to, Paul is saying, see what God was doing in sending them into exile. He wasn't abandoning them. No, he was moving toward. That's what the law said. He said, if you disobey, you're going to have to leave. I'm going to have to send you away. They disobeyed. They chose death. And so death they got. But now God was ready to bring them back from exile. And really, that's just a a foretelling of the resurrection of the dead. I can bring you, but yes, you deserve death. I can raise the dead. Right? For at the right time, Christ died. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. So the message is here in the, in the beginning. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We talked a little bit about what the gospel is. It's about Jesus. It's that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has said he was going to do, of everything the people of God were longing and waiting and yearning for. It, he's done it. Okay, that's the gospel. He did it. It's not out there anymore. He has done it in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. And again, salvation for Paul, this is very much a, an exodus word. It means deliverance, rescue. Okay? So salvation, we need to get beyond this kind of 21st century Christian understanding of salvation is kind of this switch in my eternal destination from hell to heaven. Salvation is God's mighty act in history to deliver his people from bondage. Okay? And they're not exclusive, right? Those aren't mutually exclusive. But one opens up a lot more of the scriptures than the other. Right? When you read about salvation and all you think about is me and my eternal destiny versus you see salvation, you see yourself as part of God redeeming all of the cosmos back to himself. And using you to now participate in that work of redemption and and rescue. Oh, it opens up salvation to mean something much deeper and much broader than just the switch that gets flipped when you pray a certain prayer. It is the power of God for salvation. What is it? The gospel, the proclamation. When you realize who Jesus is and what he's done, when you see him as the fulfillment of the promise, you have now at work in you resurrection power. The gospel is the power for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It was to the Jew first. So you can't dismiss. We don't just cut off. All right, so we tried the Jewish thing. Now... We have Jesus. We don't need... No, no, no. (laughs) The community of of people, of Jews and Gentiles together under the lordship of Jesus, that's the next step of the story. That's just the next step. We're not abandoning anything. We're not closing off anything. 
We're, we're moving forward. And if anything, that should now come to much more to light for us. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because that kind of is the gospel, right? That God has saved a people and through that people he is blessing all the earth. That means that to the Jew and to the Greek, that really is part of the gospel. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And um, there's a lot of discussion about this word righteousness. I think it's pretty easy. If you just go look up in the Old Testament, where it talks about God's righteousness, what it's mostly referring to, and you can read it and, you know, there are, obviously this is a blanket statement. But what it's largely referring to, and what I think Paul here is, is talking about, what the gospel reveals about God's righteousness, is God's, um, one translation says, his covenant justice. That God has done what he said he was going to do. That's righteousness. When you say you're going to do it, and then you totally and, and uh, without fail fulfill your side of that covenant, your agreement, you have, been, you have been shown to be righteous. You are vindicated, right? Because what were the Jews saying? He's cast us off. He's abandoned us. Right? This gets back to some of the Isaiah stuff. You say he has forgotten us. No, 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 no. Paul's saying the gospel justifies God, justifies the way that God has been moving and operating in history, right? Exile was not God abandoning you. It was God actually doing what he said he was going to do. It was God being consistent. And so consistency, faithfulness, truthfulness. He even says over in chapter 3, Right after the scripture that we all know, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Sometimes we think this was to show what God thinks that we should do. And it kind of is that. But when you think about it, it's God being faithful to his covenant. It's God fulfilling his promise to Abraham. How did he do it? Through Jesus, God's righteous. It was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. God has been faithful. He hasn't abandoned. In fact, he's been more faithful than you can possibly imagine. He's been more consistent than you could possibly imagine. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has done it, and it had nothing to do (laughs) with a righteousness that you were trying to establish. It had nothing to do with your identity as a Jew as such, and had everything to do with God's faithfulness to what he promised to Abraham. And that's why he gets into talking about so... How, how could Abraham be called righteous? Right? And so we'll, we'll get into some of that. But in the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed. The faithfulness 
the consistency, the absolute trustworthiness of God has been revealed. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled every single last one of God's promises to his people. None of them failed. It's revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, it's easy. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about more about righteousness. But I just want to get you thinking that this is a book like Isaiah. And I think Paul's, to see how indebted Paul is to the book of Isaiah, makes this much more clear. This is a book that Paul is trying to say, this Jesus, I don't think you understand how deeply this goes. <laughs> I don't think you understand just how much of God, how much of his word, how much of his promises. I don't think you understand the significance of what the scriptures were even saying all along. But when you see Jesus, when you see who he is, see what he has done, it all makes sense. The whole flow of God's moving in history from Adam all the way on through Abraham, Moses, the law, the exile, everything. It was all pointing to this. And this now has happened. It's not in the future. We're not longing for it anymore. It has happened, and it has happened in the person of Jesus. That's the message. So this is a book to a church. It's really just more of a a fairly loosely connected group of small house churches in Rome. And they make up an extreme minority in this big city. All right, they're not, I mean, we think of the church in Rome now as like, right? I mean, the Vatican, it's, it's the, the place, right? It's more riches and, and grandeur. There's nothing like that, right? There was no church in Rome. There was no Holy Roman Emperor. There was none of that. So they made up an extreme minority in the city as a whole. But even among the Jews within Rome, they made up a really small minority. They were just this sect, right? Causing a bunch of problems. Nevertheless, Paul pours out all he knows, all he can really fit into this letter. Poor Tertius, his hand must have been cramping, right? He said, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you. (laughs) He pours out all he knows about the gospel, the faithfulness of God, how Jesus sums up and fulfills every last one of God's promises. Why? Because it matters. Because this community needs it. Because when they understand it, they will, the the little group of them in that big scary city with the big scary emperors, the little group of them will be able to change the world and will be able to bear fruit. Because it matters, it changes everything. You having this gospel, it's power. Power for salvation. And so I want to, as a preface to Romans, I want to encourage us all to receive this book not as a lofty, untouchable, you know, I was just talking to JP, it's like, it's, it's remarkable how many, like, 600 plus page books have been written on Romans. And it's full of, I mean, it, it deserves it. But for us, I want to encourage us that it's not a lofty, untouchable, theological, 
battleground for scholars to congregate. You know, this is one of those books that I, I feel like has been buried under so much that it's hard to actually recover what it is. This book, also the book of Revelation, are two books that I think are extremely useful and essential for the church, but have been buried in so much, so much commentary and debate that it's, it's almost off-putting. Like, how can I even approach it? But clear all that away. This is a book from a guy who knew what he was talking about to a small group of believers who had gotten a hold of some truth and who had the presence of the Holy Spirit moving among them and were beginning to be the people of God. Paul said, this is what you need. This is what you need for life. This is what you need for your city. So there is much to wrestle. I don't want to belittle this book. It's, it's, a, it's a mountain of, of truth. It's a gold mine. But the important thing is, is I hope that we come away and that we know that we need to, that this book is, is worth it. That we need to wrestle with it. That it's useful for us. It's not just ideas. It's, it's useful for us as a little group of people in a city that doesn't acknowledge much about what we believe, Right? So we need to let it permeate us and shape our minds. Paul was saying, I want to impart this to establish you, encourage you, to strengthen you. There's power here. At the great turn in the letter in chapter 12, and there's always a great turn in Paul's letters. There's always a great therefore. Right? Let me tell you about God's purposes. Now, let me tell you about what that means for about the way that you live day to day. At the great turn in chapter 12, Paul's great therefore... He says, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's righteous faithfulness to the covenant, in view of all of these things, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You're in a big, dark place. Don't let that shape you, form you, into what it would. I mean, talk about a cancel culture. <laughs> How about being expelled from the city? You never truly, you have never truly been canceled until you've been canceled by a Roman emperor. <laughs> the original, the original cancelers. So don't be conformed to the present age. He's writing to a really dark place. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of your minds. By understanding who Jesus really is. How faithful God really is. How Jesus really is the full embodiment of everything that God has always been after. From the, from the creation of the world. When he created Adam. God was after Jesus. This is my son. In him I am well pleased. He is it. He's the full embodiment of everything that God has always been after. And as we, as we wrap our minds around that, and that's what I want to call us to, to encounter Jesus in this book, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the fulfillment of everything that God has been up to in the Old Testament. I mean, we've read, we've been traveling through the Old Testament. We've been walking through the story. We've hit 
We've had all these major chapters along the way. We spent a long time in the prophets, which are really the last chapter before Jesus. Now we are so primed to hear the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. Um, I'm really, I'm excited for what it's going to do for us. I think it's going to be power among us. I think it's going to establish us and encourage us in our little community here with a big dark world around us um, to be the bearers of the gospel and to be the ones who, who can proclaim it in power. Uh, just as Paul was charging the Romans, hey, be the people of God in this place, love one another, because the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth and you're part of it. All right? So Romans is not, is not for the elite. Romans is for you. Romans is for me. Romans is for this church. And we need the truth here. We need to understand why Paul was so concerned that they understand who the Messiah really was and that Jesus was that. We've got to understand that. Um, and, uh, and, and we will be the people of God uh, more when we do, once our minds are transformed. So that's, that's my uh, prayer for us. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's another one of those word families that we should be aware of. That's, that's the temple. That's the sacrifice, the priesthood. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, so keep in mind go back and read if you didn't get all the way there read chapter 16 because it, it, it personalizes it it makes it small it makes it family this, this letter and that's, what I th- that's how I think we need to approach it right? it is not it has had enormous influence in church history let's try and, and read it as a little group of people trying to be the people of God where we are Right, a little group of people that Paul has a few that he knows and says, "Hey, yeah, uh, I remember them, and I hope they're doing well, and give them a kiss for me, and, and all that." Let's let's let this be a family letter for us, and uh, that's what Paul intended it for to be, and uh, I think that's how we need to receive it. Amen. That makes sense. Um, there's so much there's so much smoke to clear away. I think the only book that's worse than than Romans is, is Revelation, right? There's so much stuff to just clear away, to actually really receive what, what the letter is trying to do. Um, so that's my encouragement for us as we, uh, as we set off down this, down this road. Anybody have anything to, to throw out there? Any questions? or I, I do want to come back, because really Paul shapes his letter around kind of chunks of the Old Testament. So we will, you know, as they come up through the letter, we'll kind of get back into the Old Testament and say, you know, why is he discussing Abraham here? How does this relate to what he's talking about? Um, and when you do it, I, you know, it makes a ton more sense when you do it that way. If you come at it and you say, this whole letter is about how an individual can be made right with God. It's like, what are all these Old Testament examples? <laughs> you know, like, okay, I get it. Some people in the Old Testament kind of got this right, you know. So what's, you know, what is that to me? But 
If you, if you take, that, take yourself out of that position and say, all right, God's been up to this thing. Jesus was the fulfillment. And now I, as I am incorporated into his family, I am also part of that. Wow, that makes much more sense. It's like discovering suddenly that the earth goes around the sun rather than everything going around the earth. Right? Calculations of the heavenly bodies make a lot more sense and the movements of the heavenly bodies. So that's really, that's really what um, I want to encourage us to do. And also just to encourage you that you can dig into this. You can, you can know most of what it's saying. You know, don't be intimidated by the fact that scholars really debate about a lot of stuff. You can receive from this letter most of what it has to offer. There might be a few things that we need to clarify and talk about amongst ourselves. You can receive what this letter has for you now. And uh, so give yourself... To study it and uh, to ingest it. Amen. Anybody want to close us in prayer and ask that God would help us uh, read this letter right? Go ahead, then.